Boxeo is back on the ITC. In this corner with Brian Campbell returns with the boxing edition. Fresh off a heavyweight title brawl in Brooklyn to remember. And ready to sling that supersized dose of the untraceable and unmistakable performance-enhancing audio. The Brian Campbell, in fact, that voice that you hear, just about ready to tag in Big Red and get this party started. As we recap a wild weekend in boxing, including Deontay Wilder's thrilling comeback KO of Luis Ortiz and Sergey Kovalev moving the chains at MSG and much, much more. We also chat with unbeaten heavyweight Jarrell Big Baby Miller in his return to the ITC to find out what happened when people stopped being polite after Wilder Ortiz and Big Baby tried to crash that ring. We will also Find out about Big Baby's future. Maybe a shot at Anthony Joshua down the road. A lot to get to. We got weekend previews, all the latest news, plenty of sound drops and nonsense to keep you satiated. So just sit back and relax. Yo, 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 relax, relax, you know what I mean? But along with me doing the gratuitous reminder to have you drop us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, let's put the business behind us and get right into this loaded show. Let me welcome in my broham of boxeo, my cousin of concussiveness, the man who, like Lara Holm, knows this game. I know this game. I know this game. You got to listen to me when I tell you what's going on. I mean, you know, I'm calling this shot. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. This guy calls his own shots. He's an internationally renowned author, editor, Filipino television host, protector of all things cruiserweights. And if you've been reading last week's edition of, Res- of Respect Box, the newsletter, he's also fancies himself a little bit of a candy licker. Let me lick you up. Let me lick you down. Turn around, baby. Let me lick you all around. All around. Baby, Rafe, Bartholomew Rafe, that was about the cleanest of the lyrics on that song that we could print on this show. And look, bro, not to put over that Respect Box newsletter and puff the bag up a little bit, but that's becoming required reading for this podcast as a companion companion piece. How are we feeling this Monday morning? I'm, I'm feeling great, man. You just played my entrance music. I do the 10-minute intro, the Nasima Med style, to Marvin Cease's Candy Liquor, man. I drive the ladies crazy. Put me behind the sheet. Give me a new body. I'm in there. Oh, my God. Listen, just go on YouTube and just pl- just play Candy Liquor by Marvin Cease and then just be astounded at the uh at at the dirt lyrics that come out of that, you know, sweet, soulful, <laughs> almost like gospel-like music. And then he's like... He's talking about some pretty dark, dirty stuff in there. You know, back in the day, I, I kind of always held Clarence Carter's <laughs> stroking up as the number one, uh, you know, dirty, long talking old man soul song. You know, that kind of like juke joint sound where they'd like spend half the song like saying, you know, sort of riffing dirty lines over it. Um, but no, no, actually, it's candy liquor. It is way dirtier than stroking could ever be. Wow, Strokin was made for box. Uh, I wish Cruising was made for box, but your weight class has been taking a few fun months off on the hashtag Road to Jeddah. But Rafe, we've got plenty to talk about, and I do re- remind everyone to get out there and subscribe to Respect Box at Rafe Boogs on Twitter. The invitation is there. Uh, I'm learning more each week, Rafe, about uh, obscure boxers from around the globe. I'm laughing. I'm getting the Foley minute. Come on, this is what the people want. 
right here. I hope so. I hope so. And I plan to keep on delivering it as best as I can. You know, it's, uh, it, I gotta, I gotta, the, putting these things out on Friday may not have been the best idea. I'm always like, I, I always somehow end up screwing things up where it's like three in the morning on Friday and I'm a little bit, you know, drunk or something. I'm like, Oh God, what is going on in boxing? But you know, so far so good. We're, we're making it work. It's, it's moving product for sure. Rafe, this weekend I was there. Barclay Center, Brooklyn, the WBC heavyweight title, a battle of unbeatens, 50-50 fight, more or less on paper. It did not get any better than this coming in, Rafe. And you got to agree, this fight exceeded expectations from an entertainment standpoint, from an important standpoint, from anything you want. I mean, Ortiz teased the bag, and he certainly got the mess, but I think the bigger story was Deontay Wilder. What balls he has. Rafe, he... Look, I mean, he showed us the full package, as as Hasim Ahmed would say. Because they had a full package. Where are they going to get that full package today? Who puts their balls on the line? Who does that in boxing? Deontay Wilder does that, Rafe. And his uh, late TKO, 10th round, after nearly being dropped and stopped in round 7, pillar to post. Say what you will about his technique, but this was inspiring stuff. Yeah, well, and, and we learned a lesson here. You know, it's good that you bring up the balls, the, the, you know, the cojones factor. Um, because, uh, if Ann Wolf had been in Luis Ortiz's corner after the seventh round, she would have been there to remind him, you took his soul, but now you have to take his balls. You took his nuts, now you gotta take his heart. Yeah, take his oh, heart. shoot. I got it. Oh, man. I, I switched it up. I'm backwards. This is like, this is like Tommy Boy all over again, man. It, wait, you could get a good look at a T-bone steak by putting your head up a butcher. Wait, no. It's got to be your bull. Damn it. You could sell a uh, ketchup popsicle to a woman wearing white gloves. Yes, I remember that moment. But, Rafe, like, I, I wrote this column on CBSSports.com yesterday that says put the put the, uh, put the the asterisk behind you, put the criticism behind you. Deontay Wilder stepped in the midst of hell and proved that he is that dude. You can't say anything negative about that because Ortiz, he didn't, unlike what Deadspin wrote, Ortiz didn't come in and flop down. Ortiz didn't look like a 55-year-old heavyweight. Ortiz brought the pain, but Wilder was just playing better. Yeah, well, I don't know about better, but he had, you know, he had the way to win the fight. I mean, it, it was – it he did not do anything to look like an improved boxer, but it appears that – he may never need to, or he certainly has not yet needed to, and and it's hard to think of too many too many heavyweights out there who would who would necessarily force him to need to develop those boxing skills. If he you know if he has the ability to stand in there to to weather the kind of damage and and basically being out on his feet in the seventh round like he was against Ortiz and come back and win that fight, then and if all I mean his. He sort of has such a huge degree of, uh, um, he has, uh, what's the margin of error when he fights because of that power, that right hand. I mean, he landed three or four good punches and won the fight, uh, knocked the guy down three times. It's, you know, you, that is, that's different, you know, there, and, and this is not like a, a guy who came in to fall down, right? Despite what you may have read in pieces of garbage that came out on Friday. Yeah. Um, and Lou DeBell, like, to back up your point right there, Lou DeBell had said it best after the fight. He said, while there's power so ungodly, he can make the mistakes and get away with it that other people can't. And that is so damn true in the way he finished this fight and the way he's finished a lot of those fights, right? Like being down four nothing to Gerald Washington, looking bad in certain spots against like Molina and Spielka. But I want to say something about the level of competition. He produced an otherworldly sort of performance in terms of his guts and ability 
that we didn't see him do when they were propping him up in showcase bouts against where he's getting wobbled by a jab from Eric Molina. And I think the raising of the stakes brought out the best version you could have had of Wilder, which is like, hey, promoters, like, you want to make somebody a star? Put him in there against the best so that he has to respond and prove that he's that guy. And I think, if anything, on an evolution basis, you saw the evolvement of his confidence. And I know we joked about it last week. Was he uh, obsessed and possessed against, you know, Stavern in the rematch? I just think he's so damn confident right now that it was, one, hard to pick against him, and two, that confidence seemed to carry him through the, the the storm and the hell of that round seven. Man, you you know, that was all that 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 was up there with the famous Jack Palance commercials where he's slapping on the skin bracer and going, mm, confidence is very sexy, don't you think? <laughs> um, well, yes. Didn't we have uh <laughs> didn't we have Danny Garcia on this podcast recently where I talked to him about what makes a great chin? And that's always my favorite thing to ask fighters, right? Like what how much is it physical? How much of it's mental? And if, and they always tend to say it's more mental than physical. But one thing DSG stress, you have to be in top, top shape. And I think we saw that with Wilder, even though after the fact he admitted having the flu in the build up to the fight. And that's why he lost so much weight and came in at 214, his second lowest weight. I think at the same time, you saw a guy so fit physically and mentally that he made that decision that some guys do, Rafe, that no matter what I get hit with, I'm not stopping. I'm going to keep coming. Yeah. And I mean, you, you said it like this, the reason we didn't know Wilder had this in him is because there was never anyone to bring that out of him. You never, never really been pushed in any meaningful way other than, you know, lose a few rounds against a guy who, you know, he's going to catch up with and knock out. That was about as close as we, as we'd ever seen to a challenge. Um, and so that's it. it yeah. I mean, that's, that, that's the, the argument for making good fights like you. And this is the first time we've learned that we, we haven't learned anything about Deontay Wilder in years, you know, after Saturday, we did learn something and we can, and we can sort of say, okay, now, we know that even with the the holes in his game and the flaws, he you it doesn't matter. He's got that margin of error. He's got that equalizer in the in in his power. And basically, if you could you could do what Ortiz did, you could thoroughly outbox him, dominate most of the fight, and you know you're it doesn't matter what if you tire late, if you you know punch yourself out a little bit like it appeared Ortiz did, if you make one mistake. Boom, it can be over. And, and they say that all the time about heavyweight boxing, and it is true. But it is more true yes. with Deontay Wilder than anyone else. And, like, and look, I know, was the he, biggest Wilder hater, kind of like you were. Not hater, just like, look, this guy's not who we think he is when he finally faces Joshua or someone on that level who gets served. But I've come around, and I've come around because of his confidence. I've certainly come around because he knows how to use that great equalizer, like you mentioned, of the power. But here's my mention, my my disclaimer out there to all the – you know, the, the cynical hardcore fans out there and the Wilder haters. And by the way, the Wilder haters didn't stop coming out after Saturday's victory, right? They only rebooted and came out in full. It's this, Rafe, and I want to see if you agree. This is not the 1970s or the 1990s. So I know Wilder has no craft or technique. And I know you could try to make the case, you know, this guy would have been a sparring partner to Larry Holmes or whatever anyone wants to say, right? But Larry Holmes ain't coming through that door, bro. This is like when you make the NBA, this is the reverse of the NBA debate. What I mean by that is people are like, why don't we talk about George Mikan and the NBA, you know, top 25 players or whatever. He won so many championships. But yeah, but dude, he's fighting against like six, seven white guys that were balding who were like smoking five <laughs> cigarettes at halftime. So you can't really compare guys from the 50s and 60s of the NBA to LeBron today and it's that reverse thing with heavyweight boxing because Deontay Wilder came to the sport at 21 right 
He didn't grow up in a corner gym on the streets of Philly like every other great heavyweight for the past 50 years, right? And and just live this thing and box this thing. It's a different era. Larry Holm, he may know he may know the sport, but he's not coming through that door. So when you adjust that, Rafe, this heavyweight group who we have today is what it is, right? They they are who they who they are at this point. And Wilder might be the best of them. I think we got to give him credit that he might be and just say, look, against the field, he's pretty damn fun to watch. And you know what he might also be, Rafe? A gateway drug for casual fans to get back into this sport. What do you got? I I mean, look, I, I'm – I try not to read the minds of casual fans and worry about the health of boxing. You know, it, like I think boxing's greatest strength, and this ties into the the often quoted, famous forever Larry Merchant can never be killed, can never be saved quote about the sport. You know, it's like the sport is like a, a hydra or the blob or a you know an amoeba. I mean, the thing you know it just changes form all the time. It can adapt. It's guerrilla warfare as sport. Like okay, we're outlawed in this country, we'll go to that country. You know where. Follow them, you know, wherever there's money for a fight, we'll bring the fighters. Um, and, and and there's always going to be people, you know, enough people to support that, enough fans. I don't really the, – the health of the sport, whatever, you know, is while they're saving it or not. No, he's just doing what – you know, he's a good he, – he's, he's fun to watch. I hope people – you know, he brings some people into the sport. They may leave when they're not watching him. You know, who cares? Um, but – He's, you know, but I, I mean, going back to the hate, like the whole Wilder's haters and is he good or is he not good? What comparing eras? He, I, I think you can, I think the two things can exist at the same time. You can acknowledge that, hey, this guy kind of stinks at all of the fundamentals of boxing. Like he, he, there are long stretches of the fight where he will either be getting, you know, schooled by a more technical fighter or, you know, or or trying to do things and looking crazy because he's like, you know, jumping all over the ring and swinging wildly and missing badly and doing all those things. But you know what he can, he also seems to do in those fights? Win them by knockout. So, I mean, you know, the two can exist at the same time. He can be bad at all of these things and not need to be good at them to eventually win those fights. Now, you know, it go. It stands to reason that eventually that will not work out, right? Something like if you, if you, someone will come, will be able to come along and, you know, exploit those flaws and and either stay on point for twelve rounds and 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 not, you know, and not get hit with that knockout punch, or, uh, you know, or finish what what Ortiz started, you know, with a little more time and and get that knockout, you know. That's great. Uh, I'm, That's I'm, great I'm, TV. I'm you, Brian. I'm asking you, Brian Campbell. What what is the style now? What is the what is the blueprint? You're I'm Canelo, you're Oscar. <laughs> you're hand hand me the blueprint to defeating Deontay Wilder. I, well, I mean, I thought Ortiz may have had it when you consider that he can box. He's probably the best pure boxer among these elite heavyweights, and he had the size, right? But he also had the power to keep Wilder honest and at bay and I think you saw that over the first four to five rounds where before that knockdown in the fifth round when Ortiz got caught with those two right hands I had him up four rounds to nothing on the way to being up five to nothing I know the judges by the way had it differently and they had it split and we'll get to that in a second but I think that was the blueprint you need to be big enough you need to be strong enough that Wilder can't come out 
and throw bombs. The reason why Wilder's jab wasn't there and everybody kept saying, he's pawing too much, he's not using it as a weapon. You're right, he wasn't. But the reason why is when he tried to use it as a weapon, Ortiz was quicker and more accurate over the top of his jab, and Wilder getting hit in the face a bunch of times in a row goes, this is not, you know, this is just going to set me up to get hit. So he went back to his Neanderthal way, which is paw with the left hand to set up the big right. I'm not saying it's great, it's all-time great, but again, when you put his chin and his hunger and his power up there, it's going to be hard to beat. So what's the best way to beat him? You're going to have to outbox him, Rafe, or you're going to have to be a slugger, and you're going to have to say, I'm willing to get knocked out within four rounds to try to knock him out. I think that's, you know, that's the best way to try to hurt him early. And look, there's a problem there. He's a problem for heavyweights for a reason, right? You have to discipline him early. And Ortiz sort of did that, and he still fell victim in the end. That's why I'm finally coming around to giving Wilder his due, where for a while we said, oh my, we were even saying if Klitschko would come back and fight Wilder, Klitschko will send Wilder to hell, because once someone puts it on that chin finally, this is pre-Joshua fight, but you know, once somebody puts it on that chin, we'll finally see that Wilder's not for real. Once somebody with some technique, now maybe a more prime Klitschko is the blueprint for that, right? A guy who could command distance, stand in there with that big jab, and work to set up his right hand, but again... That guy's not coming through that door right now. So obviously Joshua's the fight to make, and I want to get into that in a second. But the best blueprint, Rafe, is have equal chin and power, and I don't think anyone's got it. Yeah, it's 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 interesting because you can get you can I you you can say that sort of the one of the better strategies would be to sort of you know to really try and pressure Wilder to jump on him because what he still doesn't really react well to pressure. You know, like he's he doesn't he 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 doesn't you know I guess maybe due to some I guess less experienced than other sort of fighters on that level. He, he just, you know, he looks like someone who's like, Oh crap. Oh man. Punches, punches, <laughs> which is usually not how boxers respond to like, they like, you know, it is an unnatural thing to have punches flying at you except for boxers. Um, and, uh, and, but, but Wilder still has that, you know, he, it looks like he freezes up a little. He doesn't, you know, he's, he's, he's not, always focused on defense so you could see someone you know pressuring and getting a win that way but if you don't get it and you punch yourself out forget it you know like like go to sleep you know so here's the here's the point i want to make about sort of casual fans and why in my piece you know on sunday i wrote that like wilder essentially is what american boxing fans need there's no face of american boxing right now rafe post mayweather right terrence crawford's got the skill not the marketability doesn't have the big win yet spence and and Thurman still really need to fight each other. They're not there on terms of being a crossover. I hope my guys, the Charlos, get there, by the way. We'll, we'll get to them in a second on why they might. There's no face of American boxing, but what do casual fans need? Someone they can connect to. They only connected to Mayweather because he was such a good villain, and they got coerced into paying to see him lose, right? And that never happened. Wilder's, let's say, intangibles negatively, the fact that he's so vulnerable is going to only play into, Rafe, the idea that he could become a darling of American boxing to casual fans. And I know I'm stealing a bit of the narrative from Joshua knocking out Klitschko, right? Getting up off the canvas. I said his vulnerabilities make him more fun to watch. Wilder's victory was almost a little bit like that fight in terms of how he came back. And that's a good thing because every Wilder fight, you're not going to know who's going to win. Number two, no matter if he's getting outclassed, you know he's going to be able to rally potentially at any point, so you're going to stick with him. And three, Rafe... What did Mayweather create too much of in his pay-per-view run? He made boxing actual boxing. He stuck to the science of it, right? Anyone who comes to boxing for the casual part of it was sort of like, ah, oh, man, this is boring. This guy who's fighting him can't not get, get to his chin. What Wilder showed you on Saturday night was not a boxing match. It was a fight. And I know that there's hardcores that are turned off to that. 
But that's what casual fans need. And if you're a boxing fan who only wants to have other hardcores around you, it's like, I like this indie band when they're in local clubs. I don't want them to go worldwide. I don't want them to be playing stadiums. Like, it's going to be like Dave Matthews Band. Suddenly all the chicks are going to be listening to them. That's fine if you were that guy. But if you want this sport to be healthy, then we need Deontay Wilder right now. Because casual fans want to watch fights. And Wilder wants to unify the belts. He wants to bring us back to the days of Tyson where people could relate to boxing. Rafe, we both like Mike Tyson a lot. Mike Tyson, baby. Mike Tyson. Hey, Let's go, baby. Let's go. I like. Ray. I like. I like Brian. I like. I like it. Yeah. I like Mike Tyson. That was, of course, you sent me that soundbite. The great Kurt Cedis, who's in jail now, right? Uh, Avtandil <laughs> Kurtzidze, not, not like not like the like Georgian cousin to Michael Kurtzidis, but um, but that's yes, what he yeah, said. He, that's what he, he said. In, uh, uh, a little bit of legal trouble, but we do hope he comes back to uh, enforce his mandatory against Billy Joe Saunders and not Jacob. Sorry, that's when he sent Omar Douglas to hell. That great soundbite. Omar Antoine my, Douglas. Antoine Douglas. Wow, I am all over the map right now. But my point, Rafe, he's the gateway drug. He's the crossover guy right now. That's a good thing. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I mean, you, you mentioned the, the, the casual fan barometer. Uh, you can look no further than, uh, my beloved former boss, Bill Simmons, who is tweeting on fight night that this was the best fight of this year, last year, and next year <laughs> about Wilder Ortiz, which is crazy. I mean, it, it is a, a misinformed take, but, um, but that, that excitement that it generates among people who might not have been watching every cruiserweight fight, uh, shame on you all. But if you happen to miss those, um, you know, you can turn on Wilder Ortiz and be like, damn, what was that? Well, everybody tweeted that. Robert Griffin the third. every celebrity tweeted that same thing. And you know what? I'm fine because to them, there were true ebbs and flows. You didn't know who was going to win. There was crazy action. And by the way, sitting in that arena, Rafe, this wasn't the best fight I was ever at but this may have been the best experience i've ever had in combat sports just being there like everyone i know i wasn't there but everybody i know who was at sergio martinez chavez jr were you there for that oh yeah okay so you you were like karen mulvaney all my great friends in boxing everyone says there's nothing that compares to that 12th round obviously that whole fight blew but that 12th round dan rayfield said it was like a 747 took off in the middle of the arena the explosion there was moments of that same level of explosion at the Barclays Center Saturday night, Rafe. So I'm not against any casual fan, uh, you know, who may or not be able to hear Jimmy was watching that and going, yeah, that's the fight of my lifetime. No, it wasn't even the fight of the year. It was no better than like, to be honest, Andy Lee, Peter Quillen. It was basically the same fight, boring. And then in a couple stretches, they knocked each other down, which, but that's fine, Rafe. I don't care. I want this sport to be healthy. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree. It's, it's good. I mean, the, the attention is fun. Uh, Wilder is fun. I loved in his post, post fight interview, like he meet, like that, that really impressed me after getting through that fight that he had it, the sort of, uh, you know, he still was able to nail the, uh, the quote from, from training day when he was like, King Kong ain't got nothing on me. I mean, that was, that was very impressive. <laughs> All right, Rafe, let's, uh, let's get back to people that. I can hear Jimmy. Let's get back to people that know what they're talking about in boxing and talk about serious boxing, and that's the spinoff of where this goes. We want Joshua. Wilder wants Joshua. We know the business realities. So does this change your timeline right now? If you, Rafe Bartholomew, are Eddie Hearn, are we still looking at 2019? And I know every fan's going to go, no, this may pack all over again now. But how do you feel on if we're going to see it this year and if we should see it this year? I, well... Part of that has to do with, you know, how March 31st when Anthony Joshua fights uh, fights jo- Joseph Parker. I mean, 
that is going to determine a little bit of this. If he looks great and really, and, and, and that, and having both of these fights in the same month, same month turns it into this really, really strong public, you know, desire to see that fight, see Wilder Joshua now or later this year, then maybe there is a, in that case, I could see there being a good argument for no, 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 just skip everything else. Jump to this right now. Like this is red hot. Give the, you know, give this to the people right now because they just saw them. They just saw these guys on Showtime in the same month, knocking guys out in, you know, hopefully both competitive fights. Uh, and, and we want to see them immediately. What Like do it while it's fresh. But if it, if if that sort of critical mass doesn't occur um and it could still be you know J- you know Joshua Parker could be a great fight and and for whatever reason the critical mass doesn't happen you know there's all sorts of weird factors and and happenstance that come into that sort of genuine organic moment just happening um if it doesn't happen then i still think 2019 you know then it does make sense that if the way Eddie Hearn is talking about having Anthony Joshua come to the states and you know fight a lesser contender like Jarrell Miller who'll be on the show later uh first you know to, to sort of really break out in the american market show, and and continue you know i mean we always use you know the bob arum term to marinate a fight uh <laughs> to make fun of the idea of marinating fights because of how much it backfired in Gamboa Wanma, which is still marinating. And finally, you know, well, actually, no, might not, might be done. Oh, we're, we're getting, getting into it. that. We're getting it before it's all over. Come on. You know that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I, I'm, I could see it going either ways. I am not one of these zealots who says, do it now. There's nothing else matters. I mean, there's good, there's good fighters out there for both of them. I mean, if, if, if I'm not mad if they fight guys like, you know, Bovietkin, if he can be clean, and and you know Kubrat Pulev, right. these guys are good fighters. Yeah, and so here's the thing: we all want the perfect fight, right? The perfect fight is both of them unbeaten, coming off big wins. But uh, you know, it goes back to what we talked about in previous weeks. Financially, it doesn't make a lot of sense right now, and they're both going to need too much money for this fight to be on regular Showtime. So let's get that through our skulls, right? We got to know that we want this to be a pay per view success because. I think, and maybe I'm only speaking for myself, but for the health of the sport, you want this to be a big deal. So I'd rather wait in that regard. But look, the, the knee-jerk response from anybody who needs it now, who thinks that we should get it now, is going to be, well, what if they both lose? Campbell, you just told me for five minutes how both are vulnerable, and that is ultimately what you said a good thing. Well, here's my response to that, Rafe, is... This isn't the 70s or 90s, obviously, but we have a group of fun guys at the very least that are explosive, fun to watch, that all want to fight each other. If Wilder or Joshua does lose before then, would it ruin unbeaten versus unbeaten unification for the real champion? Of course it would. But let's look back at the 90s, Rafe. Some dudes got upset, right? And and everyone who was somebody still maintained a decent stretch of big fights. They all fought each other for the most part, except for Bowen Tyson and Bowen Lewis. But... Like, Holyfield losing to Bo didn't kill him. You know, he still came back and did monster fights. And Tyson, like, it's like people still bounce back and we still got big fights. So if Wilder does get upset in the next one or Joshua, we still have, like, let's say it's Joseph Parker that beats Joshua. Then suddenly he's a thing. Then Wilder him is a big deal. Tyson Fury is still lingering, folks, right? So I'm just saying, like... I know it would ruin that, but it wouldn't ruin the division. It wouldn't ruin the overall picture. And I think we learned on Saturday night, when the best face the best, really good things happen. So let's keep moving that along. But the realities of what we think is it looks like if Joshua wins, like you said, he'd fight Big Baby this summer, maybe on HBO in a in his U.S. debut. I'm all fine with that. I'll be there at Barclays if that happens. And then we would think Wilder would stay busy with maybe like 
Boobs Brazil, right? Big Dom, who they had that dust up back in the uh, hotel lobby. Didn't like Brazil's brother get into it with Wilder and there might be like a lawsuit or something like there's some like there's all kinds of stuff right there. But the only problem, there's one minor problem with Wilder if he beats Boobs Brazil or if he struggles with him, Rafe. You remember that famous soundbite from Bruce Selden's corner, right? You should get beat by a man with titties. Come on, man. You got him. You don't want to let it, let it, let a guy with moobs beat you. I mean, shout out to, by the way, the Bruce Selden when he got stopped by Gerald Nobles in that fight. That was a great soundbite. <laughs> I, you know, I think, uh, as long as you know, you you say what you got to say to to motivate your your man in the corner, and if it's uh, the shame that comes with being uh, beat by a man with titties, then then so be it. You know, I mean, uh, you know, I think uh, at least uh, I say, speaking from personal experience, uh, let he let he who is without man boobs throw the first stone. Wow, that is such wisdom. So look, it's going to play out how it's going to play out, and it makes more sense business wise. If we get to there and they are the two guys left standing, then that's going to be a monster fight. We're all going to want it. So I do want to ask you this, though. Wilder, last three fights he wanted to fight the best. It wasn't his fault, right? We know that. Now he certainly wants to fight anybody who wants to fight the best. Finally fought someone real, and it was great. But we did get a tweet late last night from Oscar De La Hoya, Wilder's former promoter. He tweeted at Deontay and said, congratulations on such a great accomplishment. When everyone doubted you, hit me up. When you want to make real money and have someone who will promote you to be a pay-per-view star. And, of course, anything involving Oscar and Hit Me Up does bring you back to this. This is what I got for Oscar. I got fish, scale. Hit me up on the low, Oscar on the deep. Thank you. Uh, do you put any merit into what Oscar said about, like, you know, you haven't been handled right, PBC Wilder? No, I don't put any stock in that. What is it? What else? What, what should anyone have done? Who? I mean, it... Boxing is a niche sport. There's nothing you, you like, I don't know. There's, there's, I don't really see any big, anything that PBC has done wrong with Wilder. I mean, they could have matched him better, but I don't know if that would have made him a bigger star sooner. Um, that might've gotten him beat. Uh, I, you know, although it's not like he shows like in, enormous improvement from one fight to another, <laughs> but still it just, you know, he's, he's been on regular t you know he's been on regular broadcast tv a few times right during the early pbc days uh he's been he's always on showtime you know and and and, and his stuff because he's knocks guys out he ends up on he gets highlights out there you know he ends up getting memed and put on you know and, and he and that's all all that works he's he's pretty he's fairly well known for 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 an american boxer in this day and age de la hoya act, acting like the promoter version of Weinstein right here. Like, he's just, you know, like, come on, dude. Just trying to swoop in. We, the, oh, wow, that's a face you gave me right there. Was that an unacceptable reference on this podcast? Well, I don't, I don't really know. I, I mean, I, I don't know exactly how that uh, that that metaphor tracks. But, um, you know, if we catch those two together in a hotel room, we will know. Wow. Wow, Rafe. Uh, Tyson Fury, the aforementioned, still real to me, lineal heavyweight champion, did watch the fight. He, st- he set an alarm and stayed up in the middle of the night. And he pr- put out another great video on social media, Rafe, where shirtless in bed he's like struggling through his words but he gave his thoughts on wilder's performance yeah there's a uh, no doubt in my mind that i can't beat deontay wilder everything about deontay wilder makes it easy for me deontay wilder's 14 over 39 knockouts and i I once got in a ring to him and promised him i'd knock him out anytime in a place anywhere after last night, I really know that it's a hundred percent true. If he ever fights me, I'll knock him out. And I... Wow, wow. So Rafe, let me tell you this because 
Wilder has won me over, like I mentioned last week. I would, from what I saw Saturday night, I would favor him over Joshua. It would be a great fight. Could go either way, but I would favor him. But the Tyson Fury thing is interesting. All right, not 400-pound Tyson Fury, right? And who knows if he could ever get back to it. But do you think prime Klitschko win Tyson Fury is the guy to beat this Wilder? Like, you just asked me for a blueprint, and I didn't mention Tyson Fury's name. But is that slick boxing, long-armed, quick, six foot nine Fury the real blueprint to beat this crazy, sloppy Tyson Fury? I'm sorry, Deontay Wilder? Uh possibly yeah i mean it, it, you could definitely see how that style that's a style i would you know I, I, that's like tyson fury's style would be interesting to see against any of the top heavyweights which is what makes it such a shame that he has fallen out of the sport and doesn't look like he's in any real rush to get back you know i mean he just there's yeah i i, I mean i his videos are fun i liked the one of him running up the hill with the with the big log in his on his shoulder you know all that is uh, it's all cute but it's meaningless you know and and so is this video he's not he oh how dare you, know, you so you know if they fought i could definitely see him winning you know outboxing deontay wilder outsmarting him outfoxing him doing he's he's a, he's a slick old fox as uh they might say um but uh I just don't, you know, he definitely would not knock him out. Who, who, who the hell is he knocking out? He knocked out <laughs> Steve Cunningham only by like leaning on Forearm. him for eight rounds and then hit him in the face with some elbows and forearms. Like, you know, it, he's a really good fighter when he's in shape and, and at his best. But, and, and I could definitely see him beating Deontay Wilder. He's not knocking him out, you know, and he's also just talking. I wonder if he could be that kryptonite, but look, I don't know if he's ever going to get back to that shape. I just want to hear stuff like this again. I'll tell the gypsy boys. I'll tell the Irish crew. Hey-oh. Hey-oh. Here we go. Rising, chicken punches like Mike Tyson. Step in the ring and here we go, yo. Punch up like Michael from Bruno. Oh, I love that Bruno reference. You think he's talking about Frank Bruno or uh, Bruno like Borat's uh, alter ego Bruno? Got to be Frank Bruno. I know, you know, I, you know, but but right. yeah. Well, Rafe, we mentioned it off the top. Jarrell, big baby Miller, the unbeaten heavyweight. I don't know if anyone on the broadcast this week watching Wilder Ortiz knew what was exactly going on during that Deontay Wilder interview where there was an interruption and Jim Gray went nuts, and Wilder looked like he pumped fake like he was going to go attack. I don't know if they ended up explaining it on the broadcast, Rafe, but from ringside, Jarrell Big Baby Miller jumped up on the apron, was trying to have one of those face-offs against Deontay Wilder, and security got to him. And Rafe, a little inside news here, I was talking to the folks at Showtime before the fight on Saturday saying, hey, did you guys happen to fly in Anthony Joshua? Are we going to get a Joshua Wilder face-off? They said no. Joshua's still in camp for Joseph Parker for March 31st. But they said both Big Baby and Chris Ariola are here, and we have instructed security to not let anyone in the ring because we want to avoid another Sean Porter, Danny Garcia moment from a few weeks back when Sean and his dad crashed the ring. I then argued with them saying, no, that's great for boxing. Those are great moments. And they said no. It's not, and they said Jim Gray did a great job that time. Well, here's the sound of Jim Gray this time around. Let me ask you about the seventh round before we look at the end of the fight. Hey, 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 hey. All right. All right. Hold on. Let's talk about the seventh round first. Deontay, he's throwing enough punches tonight. We got a hey, 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 hey. Did you notice on the broadcast what was happening there? Oh, I know. I... 
so I, I didn't I didn't watch that interview live and I read about it first. So I knew what was happening when I rewatched the footage. Um, and it is crazy. It's insane. I don't know what's wrong with Jim Gray. Um, he, he like protects the center of the ring more than Andre Ward did in his career. Like, you know, he, he really takes the center of the ring. Uh, and and it I don't get it. It makes no sense why he is so uptight about this. I mean, and he's, you know, he's been uptight about a lot of things in his career. But this just doesn't make any sense to the only and this is a I guess not a generous interpretation on my part, but to me it just seems like you know he's he was say, like he was telling Sean Porter, oh no, this is Danny's moment. This is Danny's. Well, I don't think that's what's going on in his mind when he's kicking these fighters out out of the ring and out of the out of the shot. I think he's thinking this is my moment. You know, stop stop messing wow. up my interview where I get to be on screen and talk to the fighter uh, instead of letting these fighters talk to each other. Now, look, it can get crazy and and it it certainly disrupts the actual interview, uh, which sometimes the interviews turn out great. Um, but it, the, the level of, uh, of security and the, 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 the sort of efforts and the, the, you know, zeal with which he's shutting them down makes no sense to me. Uh, it's just nuts. Wow. Rafe with a absolute reverse, get off my lawn. Jack Reese right back at, uh, J- Jim Gray. I love that. You're basically telling him. And then shut up, shut up. I'm talking. Shut up. <laughs> shut up. Well, speaking of that, Jarrell Miller running, let's talk to the heavyweight himself, find out what happened, find out what's going to be happening this summer. Jarrell Miller making his return to the CBS Sports In This Corner podcast. And Jarrell, I don't want to waste any time asking you the big question, man. You almost crashed that ring Saturday night post Wilder Ortiz. I just <laughs> played the soundbite on the show of Jim Gray on the Showtime broadcast freaking out. Tell us what happened here. Nah, man, you know, Wilder's been popping a lot of junk, you know what I mean? And I, I'm sick and tired of it. You know, they're trying to brand him as this Brooklyn guy when he's from Alabama, you know. And I was like, listen, man, you ain't beat nobody. You know, I mean, the first person you finally beat is, uh, uh, is Ortiz, really. The last seven, six title defenses were against guys that were even ranked in the top 10 or even the top 20. So for him to talk all that smack, he's like, whatever. You just, you just beat Ortiz and the referee helped you out. You know what I mean? If you, if you want to call that six and round, he would have been stopped. The referee really was doing his job. That's what I'm trying to say. So, I had enough of his crap. I want to fight me that. Fight me. I'm a home Brooklyn hometown guy. Let's make it happen. So that's what it was all about. I love, I love the boldness there. How did you, did, what, did you jump the barrier? Tell us uh, physically what happened to you and how close did you get? I got to the rope and then security guard was there and then they're trying to hold me back a little bit. But I was like, you know, I, man, nobody could hold me back. But, you know, I didn't want to act too rowdy. Just enough so he get his attention. And, uh, you know, I got, I got down. That's all. I love it. I love it. I know Showtime had, they didn't love, Big Baby, the the idea that Sean Porter interrupted Danny Garcia's moment just a few weeks back, so I know that they weren't looking for this to happen, but I think a lot of people watching are going to go, hey, wait a second. I thought Jarrell Miller was in talks of maybe if things go right for both parties, ending up fighting Anthony Joshua. What is he doing running in on Deontay Wilder right now? Man, I don't know anybody got a belt. You know what I mean? Because all these promoters are full of talk. Sometimes they say one thing and the next thing they change. So I'm making sure I'm putting everybody on notice. You got a belt, I'm coming for you behind. Did you notice, though, that Wilder seemed to uh, pump fake like he was going to run toward you? Man, he a sucker. He know what it would have been if you would have ran towards me. <laughs> that's, that's what I'm talking about there, Big Baby. I want to get into also that we you do have a secure date to be back, of course. It is April 28th. It's an HBO card in that same arena, the Brooklyn-born fighter coming back to Barclays Center, facing Johan Duhapis, a guy that we've seen before at a high level in there against Deontay Wilder, really went out on a shield and to try to make that a tough fight. What's your mindset entering this one? 
All right, the same thing I can always do. You know, we're going to put in the work. The condition is going to be great. I'm going to be stronger than ever. And I'm going to come forward and, and knock his behind out. You know, it, it took Wilder 11 rounds. He gave Wilder a real hard time. I'm going to make it look easy. So you have to be thinking in the back of your mind when Eddie Hearn is going public and saying, if Joshua defeats Joseph Parker on March 31st, I want to bring him back to the U.S. or, or debut at the U.S. I want to make a big deal about it. And I like Jarrell Miller as that name. So... Uh, you know, how much does this either motivate you or are going to make you be extra careful in that fight to secure that payday and get to that point? No, I mean, I mean, I fight the fight. You know, I'm not thinking about the AJ fight right now. My main thing is getting rid of Duhoppers. That's my job. You know what I mean? So my main thing is going to get the job done anyway, how, and then we'll think about the anti Joshua fight. Of course, it's going to be back on my head. That's the next step. But Joe Hoppers, I'm not looking over uh, Duhoppers. My main thing is getting them out of the way. So let's take you back to Wilder Ortiz for a second. You know, the narrative here is that Wilder came in with a million questions of whether he can actually box. Does he have any skill? Has he only beat up guys that were set up for him? What's going to happen when he finally gets in there against one of the elites? And he seemed to answer most of those questions, you know, specifically his chin, his hunger, and then obviously that right hand that has bailed him out before. How would you grade his performance overall, though? I give him, I give him like a five. I say I give him like a five. You know, um, the power definitely was there, but if you watch the technical part of boxing, he still can't really box. Eighty uh, percent of his punches were rabbit punches that were slaps on the air, slapping behind the head. If that was anybody else, they would have got taken points taken away. Even when he was hurt, he was holding on for about thirty seconds where the referee didn't even break him up, which is outrageous. He was he was holding on. He bounced off the rope like you know he I mean? could have been a standing eight count if there wasn't that. There's a lot of things that were that was. That, were, uh, 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 that referee definitely helped him. So trying to say, like, he won the fight at the end of the day, but with the referee's help, if it was anybody else, if it was the other way around, you're going to start the Ortiz fight. I'm telling you now. And I know bias when I see bias. Anybody who studied boxing understands that. Uh, Ortiz, I thought he lived up to, to sort of his reputation as a tough guy who can box and can punch. I have no problems with his performance. Do you think that version yeah. of Ortiz can beat, you know, almost every other heavy, elite heavyweight, not named, let's say, Wilder or Big Baby Miller? Yeah, I mean, a lot, I think I, I thought would definitely beat most most heavyweights out there, you know, because really technical is really strong. And especially if you got a referee that's going to do what he's supposed to do. If if, if Ortiz gets you caught and you, you're taking 30, 40 punches like that at the end of a round, I mean, it could be it's lights off for anybody else. But like I said, you know, Showtime, um, they all knew what they were trying to do. We're trying to make them stay in that ring as long as possible. So hopefully he get a chance to fight AJ. Wow, wow. Big, big, big words there. Big statement there. Do you think that uh, there's a blueprint on how to beat Wilder, on how to be able to take those big shots and outlast him? Yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, you you, you have to go fight on the inside. The longest on the outside, you give, you give Wilder a chance. Wilder can't find the inside to save his life. You know, he'll slap you behind the head, and the minute he starts doing that, I'm going to tell the referee once or twice, he's doing it, then I'm going to retaliate my way. So you seem to be an interesting name here that – a lot of people talk about how you can talk, how you can sell a fight. Do you think you get the respect you deserve at this point in your career on how you can fight, however? Nah, definitely not. Definitely not. Like I said before, it's going to take time to prove. You know, it took me a while to get my name in kickboxing so people understand what I bring to the table. And like I said, Joe Washington, Washington's fight was a step in the right direction. Um, then I tried to, you know, kind of feed into what the media wanted and what HBO wanted and what other people have kind of wanted. And I was kind of just bringing the weight down, but it just didn't show the way I wanted to. So my main thing is going back to my, my normal size of being a big boy and it's working and uh, knocking these up. When we see Joshua in that unification fight against Joseph Parker, March 31st in a Showtime bout, big deal, obviously, in Wales, probably expecting another sold-out stadium. 
do you see that as, as as Joshua walking through him, or do you see this more as a trap fight? How do you break that down? No, I definitely, I definitely see it as as, 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 a, as a good fight. I don't think he's definitely gonna walk through, walk through, um, you know, parking in any kind of way. People are trying to say that, you know, this guy is is definitely durable. He's fast, and uh, he's gonna. He's gonna I feel like he's gonna bring the fight. He's gonna beat it. He's not gonna go sit down, lay down, and give him his belt. So I feel like it's gonna be a good fight overall. So how much, I know you're saying, look, I'm not thinking about Joshua, I'm thinking about Duhalpas, and that's the right way to be. But all of boxing fans are thinking about Wilder versus Joshua. So does that give you motivation to potentially be the spoiler in that equation? No, hell yeah. I mean, he fight me, he's not winning. Point blank, period. And I'm not leaving it in, hand, in the judge's hands. That's for sure. I'm saying that right now. He's fighting me, I'm going to finish this behind. The minute I get him hurt, he's out of this. Well, we're seeing you, uh, your your profile getting raised. I mean, running in on Wilder this weekend. Got a lot of people going, what's going on here? Who's this big baby guy if they didn't know you before? Working with Eddie Hearn these days, does he have you wearing a waistcoat? Because that's Eddie Hearn's style in the three-piece suit. <laughs> no, nah, man. I'm always, I was, my, my wardrobe was pretty pretty diverse, you know. Um, you know, I said, let me just wear something decent. And I had a couple meetings during the day. So, you know, usually I, once I'm in Brooklyn, man, I'm, I'm home. I put my hoodie and my sweatpants on, a pair of kicks, and I'm good to go. But I said, let me put a little something extra on tonight and show the fans how Big Baby get down. I love it. I love it. Answer me this about the Big Baby character, about the persona, whether it's a, you know, whether you amp it up or not. It almost feels like there's some pro wrestling in there. You're a guy who knows how to grab attention and get people to hear you. Where does that come from? I mean, that's just my personality. That's just who I am. You know, it's not think about big baby. You know, I, I wear my heart on my sleeve, and I'm just, I'm just me. You know, I'm not trying to rehearse any poems like Beyonce or wear makeup like, uh, like Anthony Joshua. You know, I'm just me, man. It's a great guy from Brooklyn, and I, and, I, and I'm a fast talker. <laughs> Love it. I love it. Uh, final question on the heavyweight scene. There is the man lingering in the distance, and that's Tyson Fury. Do you have any sort of belief that he can come back and be the same guy, or are you looking at him as more of a more of a loudmouth clown these days in the in the bigger picture? I mean, he's definitely, he's definitely always going to be a loudmouth. You know, he's definitely going to change about Tyson Fury. The thing about him, though, is he's going to be able to compete the same way he did um, before, and that's the main thing everybody's going to wonder. I mean, he's long and lengthy, but guys are younger, we're, we're faster, and we're going to bring it to him. You know what I mean? He's not going to fight a slow, slow uh, uh, Vladimir Crisco. You know, he's fighting guys that's throwing bombs and coming forward, you know. And you can see he got hurt by a cruiserweight, which is you – know, he's fighting really big guys that's the top, that's top tier. So it's going to be a different story. So let's see if he can keep up. Absolutely. Big Baby Miller, we'll see you again in the ring April 28th, HBO at the Barclays Center against Johan Duhapas. I don't know if we're going to see you again on any TV, maybe for uh, upcoming uh, Joshua against uh, Parker. Are you going to be there in Wales or, or no go on that? I'm thinking about going to England, but I don't know, man. I got a busy schedule, so you know, maybe, maybe we make it happen last minute. All right, this guy crashes the party, crashes the ring. He's going to try to crash the overall scene at heavyweight. Big Baby, thanks for the time, man. Great pick in your brain. Great to hear from you. All right, thanks a lot. No problem. Well, Rafe, to finish up the weekend recap on that Showtime card in Brooklyn, that co-main event that almost wasn't to be, we saw Jose Uzcategui put forth a dominant performance in an eighth-round TKO when Andre Durrell did not answer the bell to start the ninth round. He claims the interim IBF super middleweight title and really gets revenge from that DQ Uncle Durrell two-piece from last year. He also didn't possibly almost see this fight because Uzkatagi had a little hashtag urine gate where apparently he peed red and the commission went nuts and blah 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 they held up the fight it happened your takeaways from this bout overall 
You know, I'm glad you 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 mentioned the commission there because I I, I think look, I'm from New York. I love the city. Um, I'm happy that so many great fights have landed in the city in this in th- this year so far, and it seems like more are coming. But yo, New York's commission is terrible. I know, I mean, not terrible in the Texas way where it's just like openly. Uh, well, I shouldn't say openly, but so you know, there's some suspicious things going on when fights are in Texas. But like the Texas fake. <laughs> The fake PR um, kind of like optics obsessed way that the commission goes about its business doesn't really seem like it protects any fighters, but it just protects the reputation of the New York State Athletic Commission, which, you know, rightfully took a huge, enormous uh, hit in terms of credibility due to what they let happen in the Magomed Abdusalamov fight where, you know, I mean, he suffered a serious brain injury, was, you know, sent, had to go to the hospital in a cab because the doctors weren't, you know, weren't paying attention. So now we get all these stupid things where, you know, the commission wants to hold up every fight for weird reasons before they even begin. Um, and then you have the, 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 the New York doctors jumping on the apron after like every round past six, which messed up the Ortiz fight a little bit. Like after that round, you wanted to see Wilder answer the bell right away not with an extra 20 seconds now i'm not gonna be like I, I, and and you can't and this doesn't really have to do with like conspiracy theories or whatever because the new york commission does that in every fight you know they they they're constantly getting in there and making themselves and interrupting the action in, in all kinds of ways and ways that don't appear to me to really be all that helpful like they're still gonna fold anytime you know eric morales eats the tainted <laughs> beef and test positive the day before a fight and wants to, and there's money on the line, the commission is still going to fold and let them have that fight. So stop pretending and, and let this stuff happen. Now, sorry to, to, for the, the tangent. Uzkategi looked great. It's the best we've ever seen him. And, you know, I hope, well, I, I hate, yeah, hopefully that means we don't have to watch too much of, uh, of, uh, Durrell anymore. Yeah. He didn't want to be there, right? From the very beginning. Look, this was a great performance from Uzkategi who really just broke him down piece by piece, lead right hands, leaning in did a lot of crafty things, but this was a Durrell who was just worn down from round one on, face swollen, just didn't look like he wanted to be there. I suddenly want to watch Uzkategi again. Remember he was like a throwaway name, late replacement on HBO a few years ago? Now he's aggressive. I want to see him in there against some of the top super middles. Not a bad performance from him in sort of elevating that. One thing to close on the New York Commission, we didn't mention the scorecards. I had an 86-83 for Ortiz entering that the round round 10 against Wilder when the fight was stopped when he suffered two knockdowns and David Field, who did a great job as referee, jumped in and waved it off. Your thoughts, though, that the three judges headed 85-84 for Wilder at that point. Everyone on Twitter, of course, is like, oh, man, again, the fix is in. Rafe, those rounds early on were close. And by the way, all three New York judges, shout out to them, because at least they gave Ortiz a 10-8 round in round seven when Wilder never went down, yet they somehow still had Wilder leading at the point. Those first four or five rounds were close, but I don't see how you can give those to Wilder at all. Oh yeah, they were bad scorecards and and that's why I mean, you know, all the ridiculous conspiracy stuff about about Ortiz taking a dive in this fight was crazy because you don't I mean, you don't need uh, you know, the way that we see bad decisions and things happening in boxing uh, you don't, it doesn't really, you don't really need to see guys take dives for that to happen. You know, the, the, the judges just take care of it. If the, if the, you know, if the house fighter doesn't take care of it with a knockout, um, which is what happened in this one, um, were we on the way to a bad decision? It certainly appears that we were. And if it had been that way, then it would have been a bad decision. Um, 
that that wouldn't have been terribly surprising to anyone because in a fight that big uh, with a guy like Wilder who, you know, has a lot of money behind him and a lot of potential earnings in front of him, um, you you know, we see that. I mean, Canelo is six, you know, starts every fight, you know, four to six points ahead on the cards like that, that when the big name fighters, this this happens. And I said those rounds were close. What I really mean was not a lot happened in those rounds, but I thought it was clear that Ortiz at the very least was setting the pace and tone, hitting jabs, landing some clean counter shots like he was the only one doing anything although neither did much so i know you they were to- yeah they were close fairly non-eventful rounds but they were it's very hard to come up with a rationale for giving them to wilder part of our weekend recap ray from that brooklyn card we can't look too forward uh without looking back at what was an interesting backstage scenario anyone on the ellie secback channels the e news es news the uh the fight hypes probably saw that video of jamal charlo lions only giving an interview backstage in the press conference room and daniel jacobs walking by and they had had some beef on twitter in the lead up to this rafe i've got some sound from this this fired me up this is jacobs walking in on charlo's interview i'm just trying to figure out like what we doing we gonna play back and forth or where like you said go to hbo i I do whatever you want to do nothing nothing you to go on hbo no 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 (laughs) well you ain't even touching m yet I'm touching M's. That's why I made my way to HBO. I get that. I know you're gonna or probably get, get it. You don't know what I'm touching. But don't say. You don't know what I'm oh, touching. I, I ain't know what you're touching. I never said you ducked. I ain't never said you ducked. I know you're touching, baby. I ain't never said you ducked. They asked you if you, you want to fight Danny. Why not? They said. Why not? You wanted to be me. I was going to they HBO. Said, they said she's a roadrunner. They said roadrunner. That's what I'm talking about. What's up? Because you don't need to go back and forth. We ain't got to go back. You know I'm not skipping your point. You skip your point. skip your point. Okay, that's when it spiraled out of control because there was a lot of hype men involved in this rafe and somebody from the Charlo side called Jacobs a pussy. Then there was almost a fight. You saw Kelly Swanson on the video jumping in between, screaming for security as it broke apart. But the key words in there, rafe. Jacob says he's touching M's, which is it means he's making millions, which is you know. Oh, not not men. Okay, M's. He's touching M's, which I I'm translating to say he's now making millions because he took the HBO deal. Of course, and it's Charlo saying you don't know what I'm touching. But here's the pr- – so, look, this fires me up. Brian, fires me up. you don't know what I'm touching right now, Exactly. Brian, I, catch my drift. I can't see either of your hands from this uh, <laughs> from this Skype call right now. I'll tell you this, Rafe. This fires me up because I love old school, like, like schoolyard trash talk. I love this fight. Are you kidding me? Like two prime un- – not unbeaten, but two prime middleweights who can bang. You wouldn't really know who was going to win this fight. This is a damn good fight. But can we actually see this fight, Rafe, with Jacobs now on HBO, or is this just a big, you know, a bag tease in the end? Um, I think we can see it. Yes, I mean, we don't. It, it's it, obviously there's the network hurdle to get over, but they've done that in previous uh, in previous cases, and and it's the kind of thing where neither Danny Jacobs nor Jamal Charlo are have such you know immediate star potential right now that that the networks and promoters involved will be like hell no we're not sharing this like you know it seems like the kind of thing where the when if the right concessions are made uh then you know it could be done and and I hope they do do it and it's it, and the good the thing I don't really you know like this video did not quite um you know drive me uh you know to to heaven and back like it did to you oh come on but, dude come on it it's got me you know I'm I'm feeling it come on bro I, Obviously, obviously, but, but, you know, I do like when guys like this are, are, you know, 
have these arguments, have it and get go public like that. Cause even if there's always a lot of, you know, posturing and BS and, and, and they're making up details about the business side to probably that are probably all smoke screens and all that stuff, but it's still good because it puts the fight in people's minds. It makes people, it does create public demand for fights like Jacobs Charlo or, and, and the same way, even though the way Wilder calls out Anthony Joshua, you know, I don't know. I don't know that I necessarily agree with every point he makes when he's when he's calling it out. He's keeping the pressure on to make that fight and helping that fight happen, and 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 that's important. Anthony Josh. Yeah, Anthony Josh. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, I, I agree with a lot of what you're saying there. I love the trash talking back and forth. It got me fired. Rafe, that fight would be so good, Jacobs Charlo. And you'd love how, like, anytime the Charlos are in public, particularly Jamal, dude, Lions only is coming out. Is, They're ready to well, bang. They're Man, Rafe, for, they are ready to bang. The char- we got, I mean, these guys, they bang, Rafe. Come on. Bang them a little. It, it would be great to see these guys bang a little. Um, I don't, yeah, Jamal Charlo and, and the Char, I liked how in that clip he did refer to him and his brother Jamel as Charlo twins in the third person. Like that's, that's, Miguel Cotto was, was at home, you know, somberly clapping to that. Being like, excellent, excellent. Um, <laughs> but, uh, the Charlos, I don't, every time they go out, they're getting into like <laughs> serious altercations. It didn't even stop there. The same night they went to the 4040 club, Jay-Z's club in Midtown and uh, a little south of Midtown. And, and, you know, there was some sort of, you know, big whatever, you know, and, and, uh, yeah, a little brouhaha in there and they, <laughs> they lost track of a bag containing $150,000 in, cash and jewelry oh, that some ladies that in the bag. club walked away with don't tease um, that bag rafe yeah well you know I, the, the the ladies walked home with the mess wow wow tease, tease, tease. All you do is tease. yeah you'll get you'll they got the mess all over them all right yeah i look that fight fired me up maybe that sound did nothing for you but look i want to see more of this i want to see more charlo in my life rafe this weekend on hbo at the garden at msg a competing card we saw Sergey Kovalev defend that WBO light heavyweight title, and he left Igor McCully Culkin home alone via TKO7. Wow, Rafe. I saw a lot of people, and I caught a quick replay of this this morning, saying Kovalev looked pretty pedestrian. I didn't agree at all. I thought he looked great. What are your thoughts? You watched this live, I assume. I did. He looks very good, I think. I, you know, he doesn't, I don't think that he looks better than he did in the past. Although the one thing that he's doing now in the last two fights is he's, he is throwing punches to the body. I guess, you know, getting destroyed to the body in a couple of fights against Andre Ward, uh, may have, may have convinced him of the efficacy of, of attaching, uh, attacking that part of, uh, his opponents. Um, but, and, and I think that's, that is an improvement. That's a significant thing. I mean, a puncher is as good as Kovalev if he's starting to, to, you know, mix it up upstairs and down, put a little water in the basement, as they say, you know, on top of just the flies on the windshield, you know, I mean, that's a more complete fighter. And I think that he still looks like, you know, until until one of these young guys who looks like a like like a monster beats him, uh, Kovalev's the best guy at 175. And Rafe, I saw two handed uh, combinations 
like fluid yeah. two, three, four punching combinations, all accurate. And this wasn't an easy opponent. I know you compared it to almost like a Blake Caparello type. And in terms of danger, you were probably right. But Igor McCulkin came to, came there to try to win at least or try to survive, I guess, a mixture of both. But that stretched the fight out a little bit. He took big shots. Eventually, the referee stopped it. So, yes, he teased the bag. He got the mess. But I thought Kovalev, you know, two fights since the ward – I know, again, neither of these two guys are Andre Ward, so of course he's going to look better. But I think he's fixing some of those holes. He sounds happier. I interviewed him this week, Rafe, too late to get him on the pod. He was, like, incredibly happy the whole time, talking about his new trainer, talking about all the, uh, how more, he's dedicated now. He's not going back to Russia between fights and drinking and fooling around. Like, he's serious again. Until I mentioned Andre Ward, Rafe, and he was no longer happy. And I brought up those comments that we talked about last week that Ward gave to Boxing Scene saying that uh, Kovalev can't get over the losses, right? Like, just grow up, be a man, get over it. I told him that sound, and basically, here was Kovalev's response. I don't know. I don't want to speak him. Like, just, uh, for me, he's nobody. He's not a real champion. He just, uh, uh, they won me, uh, not just the boxing, with the mind games, you know, like, they, uh, he fought with me how he thinks that alone he fought, but he fought with the whole team against me. So, Rafe, he made multiple mentions to this where I only lost to Ward because Ward did mind games and he beat me with this whole team. But, hey, bro, that means they got to you mentally and they sort of broke you down. Like, it's not like an excuse like these these cheap, dirty guys, they got to me mentally. Yeah, he did get to you mentally. He broke you down. I, I don't see where Sergey doesn't get that. Is that a translation thing? I'm sure it is a little bit. Of, I, I feel like he could probably explain it in, in ways that don't seem quite as tone deaf uh, if he were speaking in Russian. But, um, you know, I mean, obviously that's that's part of the game, right? I mean, like, me, you know, mental tricks, guys getting under each other's skin. That's a big that's always been a big part of boxing. And and I it, I think Kovalev would be uh, making a mistake to ignore that as, as something that, you know, other fighters may try with him in the future as well. I mean, uh, I do think as, as, you know, members of the media, I, I think we can start to back off and stop asking these guys about each other the first time, you know, as like the opening question, anytime we see either of them in public, we know how they feel. Like I, there's this sense that like Kovalev can't get over the, lose the losses and he hasn't, he's not handling it well. And that's not true. He's just not telling reporters the sort of soundbite they want to hear, which is, oh, yes, he beat me. I accept it. I own it. I take responsibility and I'm going to build back up like, you know, that's that that is the standard answer. And and in his mind and heart, he thinks that, like, no, I won the first fight and I kind of got screwed on the second one. We don't have to agree with him. That's not totally you know, that is not the entire story. But if that's how he feels, then that's how he feels and let him move on how he wants to move on. And by the way, those mental games he's talking about, I think he means with like John David Jackson and talking to Ward's camp beforehand and all that stuff. And I think you're right. We need to move on. But here's the problem when you're going to interview him. If he's only going to be fighting the last couple of fights, a Shabransky or a Mikalkin, what are you going to interview him about, right? He's not a great quote. You know, the only good stuff you're going to get is talking about Ward, which I did. And he said, F him. I don't want to talk about him, you know, and then <laughs> went on to talk about him. And it was great stuff, you know, and it was a fun headline. So you understand our point of view on there. Uh, after this victory, by the way, Kovalev uh, tweeted at Badu Jack and was like, hey, if you get by Adonis, let's do it. Jack said, let's do it. I'm sure there's probably still TV difficulties in there because I think Kovalev's still exclusive with HBO. I think that's what we all believe. And if he is, 
He's not going to fight a Heyman guy, right? I know a couple times Heyman guys have ended up on HBO lately. Daniel Jacobs is a great example, but I'd love to see Kovalev Badu, even if I don't think it's going to happen, you know? I Yeah, I mean, that that that's who he should be looking to fight next, who the winner of Stevenson Badu, you know, Dimitri Bivol, who won on the undercard. Well, tell, um, let's get into that. He, hmm. TKO 12 over Sullivan Barrera. Bivol defends that WBA title. For Barrera, he took less money to fight Bivol instead of Kovalev, which I, I don't rip him as much as other people did because I think he saw that as an easier fight. So he wanted to get an easier fight, get the title, and then go back to Kovalev for even more money in a unification. But it was Bivol who kind of took him on a on a long road to the to the uh, triple d the deep dark depths of hell there with it with a little stoppage uh, i was impressed yeah look i mean no one i don't i don't think anyone is really going to look like just a dynamite world beater you know like steamroller against somebody like sullivan barrera he's very you know he's he, he's he's defense he's pretty you know he's very uh responsible defensive fighter he you know, knows how to work the jab, you know, moves well in the ring. He's a smart, well-trained fighter who, you know, is not very spectacular to watch, but he kind of face, forces everyone to fight on his level and is pretty good at winning those fights when he does. Um, but Bebo is better. I mean, we thought he had looked like he, he, he passed the eye test as better. Um, and now he, he passed the real, the, the, the you know, the IRL test in, in, in that he's better. Um, and good for Bebo. He didn't look, spectacular i think that like as a as a huge power puncher at uh 175 pounds i don't know if i really believe that at this after this fight um even though he did get the knockout with the great you know with that really pretty right in combination at the end of the 12th round um but uh he's still you know he's just the power is still enough to 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 get you know to get sullivan sullivan barrera out of there andre ward didn't do that uh he did knock him down uh and and yeah i mean shoot if they can make bivol kovalev next that that's great if if the winner of jack stevenson fights kovalev next that's great uh i it should be one of these top level guys i hope you know and then obviously business is a factor we can't control that um you know my favorite sort of up and comer the guy that you know that has my uh my i, I save my man crush for alexander vozdik i mean that guy is nice i think he's he he punches with power very precise combinations moves well the way he i mean unieski gonzalez was washed but my god did he just destroy him wow wow is that a uh um uh, Eagles Clemens represented fighter. Absolutely, absolutely. You know the 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 men who uh, who may or may not box in uh, Robert Garcia's old gym in Knoxner. <laughs> Don't ask them about that. Don't ask <laughs> about any Garcia or anybody about that arrangement. So weird. It's like, look, Kovalev in in Egus, We know you're training in Robert Garcia's old gym, so. I don't like what's the business relationship. Just tell us who cares. Anyway, moving on there, Rafe. Yeah, Bivol looked great. Look, him and Kovalev, that's suddenly a, a I don't know exactly. I'd favor Kovalev, but I don't know exactly what that's going to look like. And that's fun. That's what we want at this point. That'd be thunder. There'd be some thunder in there, Rafe. You know what I mean? I'm not talking about Arturo Gotti, but there'd be some, you know, some thunder. Uh, that wraps up the HBO card. In England this week, we did see Kel Brook make that junior middleweight comeback. Second round knockout over Sergey Rabchenko. Uh, here's the interesting thing, Rafe. I thought he looked good. Put his punches together well. Knocked down Rabchenko with a stiff right hand. Was unable to beat the 10 count. I didn't think he looked amazing, though. And some of that is ring rust coming off of two broken eyes. Because he was getting tagged a little bit early. Yet Carl Frotch was on the call. And he kept saying, oh, Brooke looks magnificent. He looks ADK. Like, he looks great. You know what I mean? And I'm like, hey, hey, Cobra, like, he's getting lit up a little bit. Did you catch any of that? 
Uh, I, I, I actually missed the first round because like my, my, uh, my streaming arrangement was not in uh <laughs> tip top shape. Um, and then when I turned it on, he basically was just knocking out Rabchenko. So it seemed like it, uh, 100% dominant performance to me, you know, feeding him little chocolate brownies as, uh, Kelbrook <laughs> likes to say, look, he, he needed the win. He got the win. He probably feels great. You know, you know, basically did him dirty like Jojo Dan, um, and uh and and good i mean let him move on at 154 i i i'm curious you know you're in charge of the kelbrook comeback attempt uh you know or comeback train what's the next stop who do who, what's the do, do you want to throw him you know if you could get a title fight right away do you want him to fight jermel charlo do you want to no, go straight no. to that level of no. 154 no. i don't think so Here's but, what so, you so do what's him. the good middle step all right, you wanted to get him in there for big money against Amir Khan at 154. That's what you want to do. I, I assume that's what Eddie would yes. really want to do. But if okay, you, if but you... talk to me about a fight that's interesting to me. That fight's not interesting. <laughs> all right, I get no, I, I'm tired. Of, I'm tired of Amir Khan. Right, can't, I'm, want not, an, I'm not buying it anymore. You'd want the easiest path to a belt you can get. So I'm going to offer you this. Okay, how about the the man who sent sent Cotto to retirement, Saddam Ali, who claimed one of those belts. Because if we look at the 154, Jared Hurd's going to fight Lara, so there's two of the belts taken up. Don't put him in there with Jermel Charlo. You're, you know what I mean? It'd be a great fight, but I don't think you want to do that right now. you got to build him back up. So why not? So if you're going to take a chance, why not do Saddam Ali? That'd be a good fight. Brooks Bigger got more power. That's fine with me. But Another you, guy who, you know, sort of moved up from Welter, so he's not he's not a na- right. necessarily a natural 154. He's not going like to break your guys. eye. Do you know how, as Roy Jones once said on this podcast, do you know how hard you have to punch to break somebody's eye? He's not going to break your eye. But here's what Eddie Hearn came out and said publicly, Rafe. We want Errol Spence at 154. Kel Brook agreed. Errol Spence tweeted and said, heck yeah, let's do this. Eddie Hearn thinks that the only reason why that fight went in a hashtag L for Brooke was that he it's always been really, really tough for him to make 147. What are they thinking? That's not your money fight. That's not a great idea. Like, even if even if he is going to be fully fledged at 154 and do better than that first fight, why would you go in that direction when these other things could be on the board? I, you know, I, 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 we need to, we need an intervention with Eddie Hearn, man. That is dangerous talk. I mean, why don't do, do not bark up that tree. That tree will fall on you. I mean, um, it's like, and poor Kel Brook, you know, his promoter is like, oh yeah, well, mate, I, well, I don't know why I turned into an Irish Australian there, <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, Eddie Hearn is like, we're going to, okay, here's triple G. We're going to like, here, just run into this, run into this chainsaw. Oh, okay. All right. He beat, he broke your eyeball. Um, okay. Why don't you go fight? You know, oh, how about this guy? Arrow Spence. Oh, oh, no, no, that's not a, that's not a chainsaw. That's like a, a, a like a, like a, a industrial size circular saw that they use to, to, to make holes in concrete. Um, okay, run straight into that now, Kel. Oh, you're out, you're out of their eyeball. I mean, I mean don't Eddie, do it again. Does Eddie don't do just it. not care about him right now? I don't care about my chief's life. I don't care about his people. I don't care about his family. I don't care about them. He's acting like he doesn't care. It's like, come on, bro. Anyway, on that undercard. My guy, I say, you know, you, uh, Saddam Ali was great. I would say, you know, our guy Austin Trout, like that is yes. a, a sort of yes. perfect level, you know, full, you know, natural 154 pounder guy who really knows how to fight. Not a lot of power. 
probably on the downswing. You know, that's sort of a good next level up if you're taking the slow route to uh, to Bikel Brooks supremacy. Absolutely. On that undercard, your guy, the White Rhino, David Allen, fought to a technical draw in his rematch with Lenroy Thomas, who had won a split decision over him. I just wanted to say that guy's name. I know you like him a lot. I'm a, you know, I mean, I, I like the way he stuffs his his little briefs before the weigh-ins. I mean, that is a it's a good it's a good gimmick. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, in Puerto Rico on Saturday, Rafe, this is bad news, or is it? Because not that I think this guy's actually going to retire. Jason Velez uh, seemed to be successful in taking the soul of Juan Ma Lopez, a 12th round TKO. He had bloodied Juan Ma early. It turned into an action fight. Juan Ma looked like he was emptying the jar, like he's starting to do every single fight. And now there's talk that finally Lopez should walk away. Uh, I, I don't really see it, Rafe. I didn't see this fight, by the way. I just watched the 12th round of a video that somebody's taken in the crowd. But so I don't have a I can't speak of his performance, but I can't see that this is like the end for him. Uh, you never know. I mean, it, it, certainly he had many, many other good excuses to hang up the gloves and, and not come back to the sport. Um in any of the other times that, you know, he had his soul taken and sent straight to hell. Um, so that, we know that doesn't necessarily stop Juan Ma from coming back. Um, I, you know, you want, you want him to be healthy and happy and whatever that means. Uh, so if retirement is that, then, 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 you know, bless him and move on. Um, I, you know, selfishly, yeah, man, look, I, I, I'm not, giving up on this game, on this great sport of boxing until we get Gamboa Wanma. That still has to happen. Got it, got the loss happen. doesn't the loss doesn't really change it for me. You know, those just just throw them in there, let it get sloppy, uh and and everyone everyone will go home happy. <laughs> Celebrity referee Victor Ortiz in there. Oh, come on. Come on. Come on. You know I love that. I mean Dude, this is nuts. That's what I'm talking about. Rafe, <laughs> let's hit some, uh, in our closing minutes here, hit some latest news before we get to the weekend preview. Uh, you sent me some sound of Triple G in an interview with BT Sport, sending Billy Joe Saunders to hell at the idea of a unification talk. He's nothing, you know. I, I give him a couple chance, you know, in Kazakhstan, you know, this talk, his talk, his bad talk. No, I don't, I, I don't want to talk about him. He's nothing for me. But he said on your radar, the chance that if you get through this fight, the chance to unify the middleweight division, you said that's one of your ultimate goals. You know, he's not ready. He's not ready. He's only talking, you know, he's... I, I'm, I'm not, I not believe he's ready, you know. He's nothing. He is nothing, Rafe. Uh, here's, a, uh, here's a hot take. If Saunders is really the guy from the Lemieux fight, this is a trap fight for Triple G. Well, it's a little bit of a try. I mean, you could see that for sure. I think that, that obvious, but there is a big, 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 big difference between Triple G and David Lemieux. Um, you know, and yeah, not only in, in the, the hair and the womanizing departments, but like just in, you know, I, look, I think that Triple G, if he fought David, Le, if he fought Billy Joe Saunders like David Lemieux did, he would look silly. Um, but I think that if he did, he'd probably just, you know, he might not throw anything but the jab and he could probably win the fight just with the jab. This I don't know that I know again Lemieux is a is a there's an asterisk there. I mean he's, he's there's an asterisk, he is, but he is bad talk. But I don't he's know. Nothing. It's interesting. I love seeing triple. That's the heel triple G. If anyone can see that video, his face was like angry Eastern European, like he was like military ready to bring the pain. I down. like I like how he how one of the things that apparently pissed him off was Billy Joe Saunders not wanting to fight him in Kazakhstan, like. <laughs> 
Who would you, who are you gonna find to go to, to fly to Kazakhstan for a fight with Triple G? You'd have to bring like I you'd have to get Osumanu Odama back out of out of out of the coffin where where, where Triple G left him. I mean, come on. <laughs> Uh, Rafe, another news, Omar Figueroa, fresh off a of DUI, pulled out from that April 21st fight with Pauli defeater Adrian Broner, not because of the DUI, though, because this is boxing and who cares what people do in their free time in their real life. This is because of an injury. If you're playing PBC matchmaker, who are you plugging in to face AB? Oh, my God. I don't know. Uh, <sighs> PBC matchmaker. Is that 140? Yeah, I think so, yeah. This is rough. This is rough. I got nobody off the top of my head. Victor Postal. <laughs> yeah, wow. Uh, there's probably like a Josecito Lopez at 47 last minute. What do you think? That's a Yeah, if he can get down. Yeah, that's true. Make a catchweight or something, you know. Um, you know bust, the, bust, that, bust his jaw a little bit, you know. All right, all right. All right. Uh, Rafe, your good friend, Las Vegas-based judge. The adolescent bird. Made a return to judging, but not in boxing this weekend. She was in Las Vegas cage side at UFC 222. And I want to play you some sound from the great John Anik, Joe Rogan, and Daniel Cormier. And I can tell you, boys, that one of the three judges for this fight is one Adelaide Bird, first time judging since that controversial August 2016 decision. We just pulled that out. <laughs> Triple G and Canelo Alvarez, so don't shoot the messenger. Oh, no figure out, get that out there. <laughs> She's driving a Ferrari for that fight. <laughs> oh, my goodness. She's a nice lady, though. She's a great lady. The other day I saw her at the Ultimate Fighter. And <laughs> She's a very nice person. <laughs> She's a very nice lady. Let's just leave well, it so at that. So's my mom. I wouldn't want her calling any fights. Oh, somebody get to Joe Rogan. <laughs> Joe Rogan with the pop there. Uh, yes, yeah, she's back. Adolescence back, Rafe, and uh, and she's judging again. You okay with that? Yeah, I don't care, man. I don't care. We know we we, we would get these cards with or without her. You're, they're always gonna find somebody, uh, you know, who, somebody who's either dumb enough or or influenceable enough or whatever. Um, I don't know, you know, it. it and like we knew this was going to happen. Bob Bennett has been out here publicly saying, "No, I don't care. Right. These are my people. I vet them." You know, do we do we have to like it or or agree with it? No, but I'm not, that is that, you know, I'm you got to pick your battles in boxing and, and I just don't care. Apologies to all the hardcores for playing UFC sound on a boxing podcast. I know, I know. UFC are a bunch of skinhead white guys watching people in the ring who are also look like skinhead white guys. Yeah, Bob is right. I mean, in the UFC, you know what doesn't happen? That, hey, that black guy, he hits hard. Yeah, all right, all right. Enough, enough race baiting, Rafe. That is your news for the week. Let's get into this weekend preview. Interesting mixed bag of fights this week. It also, it, it, there's a Friday night ESPN Golden Boy one on tape delay that I'm not even going to mention, but there is a showbox card from Deadwood, South Dakota on Friday when Regis Progre faces late replacement Julius Indongo after Victor Postal, Postal pulled out. Wow. Uh, with a, this is for the vacant WBC interim 140 title. Rafe, will you even be tuning into this A and B? Uh, who do you like or care? Do you care? Are you kidding? I love this fight, man. I mean, I, I was excited for, uh, to see, to, to see Postal in there because we haven't seen him in the States since he fought, you know, since he lost to Terrence Crawford. And, you know, he looked, uh, he looked, he was clearly a good fighter. Um, I didn't always love him, but this was a, that was a, just an interesting fight. You see a guy I haven't seen in a while. You have, you see Progre who has looked good on Showbox. 
but hasn't fought anyone yet and in a huge step up. Uh, and this still has that. Uh, and we'll get to see, you know, this is more, almost more of like a high level showbox thing, I guess, with a belt on the line now because it's uh, a guy who's only pretty much fought on showbox and Indongo who had the one fight against Terrence Crawford and got blown out, like ridiculously blown out in three rounds. Looked like he didn't belong in the same, you know, time zone, let alone ring as Terrence Crawford. Uh, and we get to see how real, you know, if, if that was just, you know, Terrence Crawford being a superior talent and fighter, which wouldn't be a, 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 a crazy thought to have, or if, um, or if Ndongo, you know, actually just doesn't belong on this level. So I, I, I'm really interested in it. I think Deadwood, South Dakota is a really weird place to have a fight. <laughs> I wish I could be there just to see who the heck shows up. Um, and um, I'm into it, you know, the Rougarou thing that Regis does with the terrible mask. I mean, look like Harry and the Hendersons. It's just I, I'm all I'm all there for this. He's going to try to become the first uh, fighter born in New Orleans to win a, I guess, a world title as an interim title. I don't know. There's always these asterisks like wasn't uh, Luis Ortiz this weekend trying to become the first Latino heavyweight boxer not born in the U.S. to win a heavyweight title. So there's there's always history on the line. Rafe, every fight's a title fight, whether it's Fieker box or not. You know that Rafe on Saturday from Carson in California, ESPN presents a damn good one. Oscar Valdez in a top-ranked card defends his WBO featherweight title against Scott Quigg from across the pond. I like this fight a lot. Do you think this is going to be leaning more towards action or chess? I think with Oscar, you got to say action, right? Action for sure. I don't think, I mean, Quig is not very good at chess in the ring. I mean, he he's yeah, he's just not. I mean, he's better he's better as a pressure fighter, as a as a guy who, you know, who's who's mixing it up and you know, we saw when he tried to play that tr- tried to box with Carl Frampton, he it was a terrible boring fight that he he didn't he you know, he just could, couldn't pull the trigger in. Um so Valdez is not Frampton. He's he's an exciting act. You know, it's just a great TV fight, man. This is like this is flown under the radar because there are these huge heavyweight heavyweight fights uh, book ending the month of March. But this one, uh, you know, the names aren't as big, but these are guys near the top of that division. And, and so there's real stakes and it's going to be fun, man. I mean. Valdez had two fight of the year contenders last yes. year, two super fun fights. And this is a better guy with a good style to, to bring that out. So I think it'll just be a higher level. And I actually think if, if Scott Quigg training with Freddie Roach is anything like the Scott Quigg who, you know, had been around in, in the UK a few years ago, if he's still that guy, I think he might, I think he's going to beat Valdez. It's Whoa. Valdez. Is, is, yo, Valdez got, you know, rocked a few times by Mariaga put on his butt by Genesis Cervania and and you know I mean he needed to have the the huevos cooled down to get through that fight um they're going to need a lot of water for all the heat that Scott Quigg is bringing yeah I mean, come on Cool them down. Uh, interesting pick there. This is the test of Oscar Valdez's young career. So I like that they're matching up. I love that Top Rank's working with Eddie Hearn to make a really good fight on free TV, ESPN. Very good. I'm going to favor Valdez. I love the hunger in the fight. He's going to have to make this a fight to win it, Rafe. And I think he's going to do that. And I wonder if he can get a knockdown or just be so relentless that he ends up winning another one of these close decisions. You know, I know Quig is a much higher level than your guy, Cervania, uh, 3K Freshmart, but, uh, uh hey, 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 he is not Thai. He's Filipino. And this is Cervania. I look All right. I did cross lines there on that one. I take that back, Rafe. But, uh, <laughs> hey, I'm looking to see. I'm looking to see if Valdez can be that dude, right? Can he be a, a 
poor man's Gotti with a little more skill maybe and be a fun TV fighter who can win titles. I want to see if that can happen. Showtime, we have a doubleheader from San Antonio Rafe. I know you don't care about my guy Rances with Wolves in the co-main as he rematches Carol Relic for the WBA Junior Vacant Welter, Junior Welterweight title. Let's get into that main event, though, because it's Sergey Lipinets putting his IBF 140 belt on the line against Mikey Garcia, the pound-for-pound man himself, Rafe. Uh, yeah, I love when Mikey Garcia fights. I love that it'll set you up and bring that boom. I don't know a ton about Lipinets, though. I'm going to be honest with you. I've seen a couple of his fights. How do you handicap his chances when I think we all got to be loving Mikey coming in? Well, I mean, if you're... Really, really, Lipinet's chances come with the, the, the possibility that he could be too big for Mikey. Uh, Mikey's not big at 140. You know, he wasn't big enough to really hurt Broner much while, while outboxing him and hitting him with a lot of clean shots. Uh, Broner's got a very good chin too. Um, but, uh, so, so there's, you know, basically the risk for, for Mikey in this is that maybe Lipinets is, you know, too big, too strong and, and sort of, you know, he, even though Garcia is younger and fresher than uh, than Chocolatito Gonzalez was when he when he finally ran up against uh, you know Srisaketsu Rungvisai, um, there's a little bit of potential there where you just hit your size you know you 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 hit your size ceiling you can't take the size anymore so to speak and uh, you know it, you just get it's just a little too much to handle I don't think that will happen size, but that's son. that it is it I can't, you can't handle your size oh that's gross come on come on that's gross. Uh, that, that needs to be delivered in the uh, the Virgil Hunter whisper. Oh, yeah. I hadn't seen a lot of Lippinets. I'm looking back. I mean, certainly this is the biggest step up by far for Lippinets in his career. It's like rugged, you know, pressure I, fighter, can box a little bit, has mostly just beaten the crap out of guys who aren't very good. I saw him knock out and stop the the wolf, Levan Gamichava, the guy that James Bagg used to love, that he's a Samson <laughs> Liquids know. guy. We all love that guy. It's I amazing. saw him uh, uh, knock out Lenny Z. Uh, those were both of those fights were in 2016, but I really haven't seen any other fights. So, like he's he's from Kazakhstan. Lipinets only 13 and 0 with 10 KOs. So this is you know still early in his run. But Mikey's a, another level guy. And say what you will, if Mikey's going to have the power at 140, he's got the class, Rafe. So I think at the least, at the very least, we're set up for him to win a 12 round decision. But I think Lipinets is going to be that going to try to be that dude, right? Like don't forget what our guy uh, Jamie Fox once said about Triple G uh, Canelo. You know. I can't find the, the, the soundbite, but I think that, you know, Lipinets is going to try to be up in that ass. But I think ultimately, if he tries too hard, Mikey's going to get him out of there. Yeah, that's 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 what the fun. That's sort of the fun thing about this fight is we could see Mikey knock out a big, strong guy at 140, which would be quite a statement because, you know, Lipinets has that style where he, you know, we presume is going to come forward and try to make this fight. And that's most guys who try, I mean, you, you try to do that against Mikey Garcia at a lower weight. I mean, look at Orlando Salido. You know, you get put on your butt four times Dude, in the first two rounds. Look at you know, Slotty Kanan. Like, Come on. Yeah. So teaching yeah. in whatever you want to call, however you want to call Dejan, he, he, he was, you know, he was, he was he's the, still climbing back through the third level of hell. You know, it's been a long road. <laughs> it's a broken ladder. He's hanging on like, like that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that'll wrap up this weekend, Rafe, and another loaded show. Shout out to big baby Jarrell Miller for joining us, Rafe. A lot to get through, but we did that. I want people to subscribe to the respect box newsletter at Rafe books on Twitter for more information. Hey, buy that book, right? Two and two. Big Sorley's, my dad and me, two and two. Not in that order, but you can still buy it. Listen to our other fine offerings on the ITC podcast. And why don't you, Rafe, toss him an alley-oop of two words on the way out. We out.